Good evening, Patriots. And today or tonight is the end of Tuesday, May 30th. One more day left in the month. We'll see what it brings. All sorts of crazy stuff going on. Before we begin, one of the things that I've been using lately and I've told you about in this whole pursuit of creating a more natural pharmacopoeia in the house is CBD oil. And I've, or CBD products with CBD oil. And I've been really, really impressed. We now have CB Distillery on board, cbdistillery.com. And they're just a, a great product. Um, you'll find the link always below the podcast. And what I've been taking lately is what they call the full spectrum CBD gummies, which are, my mom's been taking those too. And it's been having a great amount of work with pain relief in her neck. And I've been taking it just for my sciatica and it's been doing great. So they have a lot, full range of products. They're all made from U.S. grown industrial hemp. They're, they have a very rigorous testing and they have a whole range of products to address things from relaxation, relief, better sleep, and even physical recovery. I'm a big fan and I think it's all part of what we need to have within our home medical cabinet, if you will, of natural products that God provided to enhance us. And you know that I'm a big fan of hemp. Make that very clear. It is illegal in all, it is legal in all 50 states and it is a great product to promote and it's many forms of what it can be used and CBD oil is one of the best. And there's a lot of different ways in which this company produces the CBD products. So check out CB Distillery, cbdistillery.com and you'll get 20% off when you use your BARDS code, B-A-R-D-S. Check it out. You'll be very happy with these products, I believe. I've been using them for a while now. Very impressed. So check it out, cbdistillery.com, cbdistillery.com. BARDS code. Your promo code is BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. I'm going to talk about some stuff that kind of came up last night in the show. And... I just want to kind of talk about a perspective on something that it's been weighing pretty heavy on my heart. It's something I think we need to reflect on as we are all ultimately trying to pursue a this very difficult path of the warrior Christ, which is truly the compassionate and the, and the fierce, right? So I want to go to some music that I played last night. I'm not going to play it. I want to talk about it. His name is Nako, and it's... Um, and it's medicine for the people. Now, the name itself should tell you something. I mean, the guy is, he is by definition probably more of a new age person, okay? And, and this is why I'm bringing it up. Um, I happen to know a little bit about Nako. I was introduced to his music by somebody that was friends with him. And what really struck me about his music is the gift that he has and the passion that he has for the living God. Now, hear me out on this, because in one of his pieces last night, I played a couple of his pieces in the show last night, and in the process, um, I, there were clips, and then later after the show, in the after hours, I played two of his pieces. And one of his pieces, which I do not agree with, to be very clear here, what I'm going to say, he refers to God as she. Now, this brings up a whole bunch of discussion and chat that completely derailed what he, what he was saying and what he was singing about. 
And this is kind of what I want to get at. We often forget that of, of meeting people where they are. And in this fight where we have true evil, let's be clear, we have a whole bunch of other people that are just blessed and gifted, and they may not know the living God or have a personal experience with Christ. And unfortunately, what ends up happening is that when we get wrapped around words in detail, in finite detail, we stop listening to the greater message. I want to just qualify a couple of things. I, yesterday, before I even played this, I, and I spend a lot of time prepping these shows, whether you realize that or not. And I go to a great deal of effort to try to do a number of things, like make sure that if I listen to these pieces, any clips that I play, I listen to swear words, and I don't always get them out. Sometimes I tell you that I've left them in t- intentionally. Other times I just miss it in the edit because there's a lot to go through. But if there's ever a, a like, if there's ever an f bomb slipped in, invariably I will see a, re, a good reaction there, or I'll get emails on it. Okay, I'm going to start there. And this is what strikes me: I don't ever get emails about child sex trafficking or the horrors of what we need to do to fix it. I mean, the things we have to do to fix this horror for horrific thing. But if a f bomb slips in, I guarantee someone's going to make a comment. And yet the pieces that I'm playing are reflective of a time and a place. They're a testimony. They're a documentary, audio-wise, of a situation. What we've ended up doing within our faith is we have very carefully tried to sanitize what we hear. And, and on the show, I'm respectful of the fact this is a family show. I do respect that. I respect the fact, and I try to hold to that because I want that message heard. And so that's why when I know that there's a piece coming in. I spend a pretty good amount of pre, pre-discourse to explain that parents, this is what's coming, or if you have sensitive ears, and I try to even give you a block of time, like this is a three-minute clip. Once in a while, like I said, I make a mistake or miss something altogether. Or if there's something that I feel like I've already expressed, if I feel that there's something that you can't just can't, you can't, have the piece play without that in there, then I'm going to tell you beforehand. But invariably when I miss it, which doesn't happen very often, there is, there's a reaction to it. And I, I think where, my, where I'm sitting here today and I've been reflecting on this and praying on this, so the frustration that I have is this goes back, this is, the, this is the, the church and the religion of Christianity that I have been so irritated by in my most of my life. Because there's a false righteousness that steps in when the real problems exist out there, but it's easier to go after these little things and deride somebody for a word that they said rather than hearing their greater message. I'm not, I won't say I don't swear. I don't swear very much. Very rarely would be the right term. But there's a realism of what we're facing right now that's visceral. And it's deadly, and it's maiming and killing people, especially God's little ones. So there's times that there's people that are truly, they're expressing this passionate rage towards it. And unfortunately, some of these messages can't be shared here for a variety of reasons. But even if I did, I know that there's going to be a, a, 
a sense of shutting it off because I don't want to hear, I can't hear those words or cussing, and there has to be a better way of speaking that, which I always find interesting. Because what we don't hear is the question of, wow, I would love to sit with that person and introduce them to the living God, to the love of Christ. So let's, let's go to Nako last night, medicine for the people. He mentioned God was a she, and I went, oh, I rolled my eyes when he said that. I'm like, okay. But here's before what happened before the show. I sent these pieces around. One, the people I sent it to is Pastor Brad Cummings. And another person I sent it to was Brian Kahenick, who you know, and others. And I, I asked, I said, I think you're going to like this music. I wanted their feedback. Both of them were just like, just as two examples, like, this is awesome. In fact, Brad said he was going to put it on loop last night and play it. Now, I'm, I want you to think about what I just said, because what Brad and I talked about was the passion that was in the voice and the passion for the living God. Now, okay, we got a gender issue going on here. We can correct that. But I happen to know enough about Nako to tell you that he doesn't hang with a Christian crowd. And arguably, I don't think he would be accepted by a Christian crowd, which unfortunately what I saw in chat last night would prove true. I would like to think otherwise, but it did prove true. And what is happening here is that the question never came up. And the question is this, or the discussion never happened. It's like, wow, I would love... I love what he's singing, but I would love to sit with him and talk to him about the passion of Jesus, the love of the living God. My guess is, from what I understand about him, and I don't know him, but that's never happened. Or if it has, it's happened by somebody that's come wailing in with an ax of judgment, other than the appreciation and compassion for his talent and his gift. He wasn't praying in those he just had an expressed passion. And you can hear it if you listen to the music. Now, in no way is this a generalized statement that everybody reacted that way, and it's not. But it was a good example last night when I saw it and I witnessed what happened in chat to step back and go, okay, here we are again. We're in a, we're in a very critical time, and there's a lot of feeling that everything is being attacked. I get it. If you listen to Jewel yesterday, or Memorial, yeah, yesterday, she sang the national anthem at the Indy 500. Now, I don't like her rendition of it, to be very clear. I don't like what she did. And I'm not a big fan of trying to change the national anthem to your style. But to her credit, she never changed the words. She just changed the melodic flow to better suit her style, which is not something the national anthem should have. So I disagree with, the. I don't like the rendition. I don't like the way she did it. But I also am going to give her credit for not changing the words in a time when everything else, everyone else is trying to change the words to gender plural or whatever else they're going to do. But when I first saw the reactions to this, I literally listened because I was like, man, what did she do? Like, did she completely rewrite the national anthem? And that's what the basically the accusations were. And what became very evident in reading through many comments on that is that I think people are just so exhausted from the forced change of everything that the slightest change now we become like we're so prickly that we're wanting to lash out and just beat on somebody. 
I could think of a lot more rage that would be better directed than directing at Jewel for just having a bad performance. And that's literally all it was. It just was a lousy rendition. It's no different than someone singing the national anthem and has, doesn't have the vocal range. She made, she changed the melodic flow so that she could meet her vocal range and get, kind of make it more about a me experience. Like, look at me, I'm Jewel. I, I did a Jewel version of the national anthem. But let's be clear. Ted Nugent, Ted Nugent rewrote, the, I mean, did the version of the national anthem with an electric guitar. And there's a lot of people that don't like that version. And there's many that love it. Okay. So it's a love-hate situation anytime we touch that thing. But the fact that Jewel didn't change the words diminishes a lot of the reaction. At least it should. But unfortunately, yesterday it was like knives were out and, oh my gosh, the axes were swinging and people were ready to put her in the grave. And I had that same sense last night with, with the small reaction that happened with Nako's work because Nako didn't say Jesus. In fact, Nako said he referred to the song as Letters to God and talks about these beautiful letters to God and says she. And I'm like, oh. And when I heard it, I'm like, oh, okay, dude, we need to have a conversation. And I would love to have a conversation with Nako. I would love to sit down and have a respectable conversation. I'd love to have him play. I'd like to have him hear me. And just because I can almost guarantee you some of the things that would be said. I can't assure you of this, but I can pretty be pretty assured it would be something like, I don't like religion. And I'd, my answer would be, neither do I. I hate the church. And I'd be like, okay, we're on the same boat. Now, what I'd like you to hear is the glory and the wonders of the living God, the supernatural God. And I would like you to hear the passion for Jesus because I hear it in your voice but there's a few things I want to talk to you about. Let me share my passion with you. Nako's not an enemy. He might have a, a twist on things that are new age. Most of that's just the lack of having somebody that's talked to them and guided many of them in the way of believing, of understanding who our God is. And how could you blame them? These are people that didn't grow up in the church. They've grown up in a world that's assaulting Christianity all the time. And let's add the other flavor to that, which is we have pulpits that are so ridiculously weak and pathetic that everything is about obedience and nothing is about the glory and supernatural powers of our living God. You know, one of the reasons right now that Satanism is on a rise is because people find real power in it. Sacrifice, ritual, and the things that they do produce real power. It's a carnival trick compared to what God can produce, but the Satanists understand how to bring about power. If they do a, a chanting-type recitation of a what we loosely, their type of prayer, which is more like a chant and a ritual of repetition, they understand and can witness the manifestation of certain things. Now, it's not God delivering. I don't. I would assume that most of this has nothing to do with God delivering it, because a lot of who they're brokering with is the demonic. So they see actual manifestation of wealth, manifestation of job success, very tangible, earthly, physical things. But that faith produces results. We are producing results every Friday. And this is what gets me so excited is because as we're praying in and proclaiming our authorities, we are getting feedback on fantastic events of people being healed, of positive changes happening, relationships shifting. 
we have a testimony that came that I'm going to write, read on Friday of a heavy, heavy situation of a daughter that's not speaking, wasn't speaking to her family for well over a year. That after our prayers, the daughter made contact with the family. That's huge shifts, and that's us working through our Father, working in prayer and declaration of our authorities, and we're putting that into the world. That's the way every church should be. These should be centers of supernatural healing. They should be centers of casting out demons, restoring health, bringing the prosperity of the, the fullness of the kingdom within us. It's not about material things. You don't always notice how that everything in the satanic world is always about the physical material stuff because that's as far as they can go. God will provide us with what we want. He'd ask, he doesn't want us to live in a soul of poverty. But the soul of poverty doesn't translate to, well, I prayed to God and he delivered 20 pounds of gold to my doorstep. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But that's, that's as he provides the greatest wealth that we gain is this unbelievable richness in the wisdom and the ability to give eyes the way he sees. And with that, man, so many things transform. And our whole life shifts. And we live in this very wonderful, peaceful place. So I, I think what hit me hard last night was in a time when there is so much hatred, there really is, man, and there's so much division, and there's more, and we talk about that almost every day. I presented somebody last night who really has a passion for the living God. However, he knows the living God. He has a passion for it, and it comes through in his voice, in his music. It was amazing. But so much gets lost when we start to nitpick the little things and we don't take a time back. You know, take another example of this. Bethel music. Oh, my goodness. If I say that to some people, it's like I might as well have said Satan himself. And it just gets into this like, oh, if I listen to Bethel, I'm going to go to hell. It's literally about that bad. Well, whether you realize it or not, there's at least three performers that I play on one of the playlists that are all Bethel. And, you know, there are problems at Bethel Church. Do not get me wrong. I am not justifying the way that their senior administration has rolled or a lot of the corrupted thinking that is filtered down, which is all money-driven. But at the same time, we have to respect the fact that a church that has a congregation of close to 10,000, that's a center point of music, it may not have the anointing that it had at one time, I don't know. I can't speak for it. I don't. I haven't attended Bethel Church. I've walked the grounds of the Bethel New Church. I did a bloodline and walked that whole thing around there, 30, 40 acres, whatever it was. Prayed for them. Prayed that only the Holy Spirit would occupy that. Prayed for the restoration of that church to be within God's kingdom and to really empower them to be of the glory of the kingdom. That's what I did. Physically did it. Drove up, parked there, got out of my Jeep. I think I've told you that story. And God was like, I was like, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he's like, start acting like you're on kingdom business. Get out and start walking. And I'm like, Roger that. And I did. And I walked that whole property. It was an awesome walk. And I just, I feel so good about that because I don't know what's going to come of that. But I trust in Father as he led, I did that, right? But the problem is that there's a, we become very generic in our tagging. And we become very reactive and we become very judgmental. Bethel's a great topic to go over because so many people have waylaid Bethel for what they say and what they pray on. 
And at the same time, I can guarantee you that few of them have ever sat down with Bethel, with the, with the people at Bethel, and said, have you had a conversation? Have, have, do you understand this? I've sat with one of the junior pastors at Bethel. I've expressed my concerns, and he's confirmed them. That doesn't mean I can't do more, but it's, that wasn't what God wanted me to do. So it's a point of having face-to-face conversations, and I've talked about this so much. And there's a time for things as well. We are quick too often to react. And in a time like this, we need discernment, a lot of it. And in the hot nature, in the season that we are in, which is a season of war, there's never more intense moments and there's never a more critical time for discernment. If you can imagine that what you're carrying here is equivalent to a loaded firearm, and this is one of this additional extensions of this open carry metaphor that I'm using a lot. You know, like I've said earlier today, my new gardening outfit, I mean, I say that jokingly, but if you're looking for me in the garden, you're going to find me open carrying literally with my 45 on one hip and two magazines on the other while I pull weeds, because this is part of me living in the world. Now I open carry everywhere. I went to the garden center today. I open carry. If I go to home Depot, I open carry. If I go to the store, I open carry and I go out into the world. I open carry. That's just how I'm living. What I say I will do and what God led me to do, I'm doing. And it, it does a lot of interesting things in that walk because you find yourself building preconceptions and it's interesting to watch this. So when you're walking out in the world, you are anticipating reactions to people. And I caught myself doing that a dozen times today. And I'm, I'm asking Father, I'm like, what am I doing? And it's like I'm walking into a place and I'm preconceiving how they're going to react to me. And guess what? Not one person said a word. They were as friendly as ever when I was open carrying around them. No customer said anything. And, I, and I, you know that you're on the alert. And it's just one of these things. You become very self-conscious, which tells me if I'm self-conscious about that, I'm pistol, which is a legal right, I'm likely, and I will ex- I'm continuing to explore this in my own journey, I am likely to be self-conscious about open carrying my faith. I tend to, and it's giving me strength in both is my point. By identifying the problem, we overcome the problem and we start working towards a kingdom level solution. Confidence. Remember, I told you, God put on my heart that we need to open carry because the sword of the spirit and the sword of steel go together, Peter and Jesus in the garden. When we have one on on us, we are able to, the sword of steel, we're able to build the confidence to wield the sword of spirit. And as we build our greater acuity and our acumen into the techniques, methods, and authorities of the sword of the spirit, we're hopefully disciplining ourselves more and training in the sword of steel, whatever form that takes for you so that we are gaining in strength and authority. So that goes back to whether we, how we're hearing people. I today guarantee you, I mean, I was being very alert to it, but I was looking, prepared for, anticipating reactions to my right to carry. What a silly concept. And as I, and this is just, it was a very short period because as I stepped out into that and I went into the nursery and then I realized how dumb this was and I just started doing my business and then everything just was normal. Just like walking in my backyard and working in my garden 
and my neighbor's out there, and his wife came out the other day, and his daughter came out the other day and said hello. And you know, and you're wondering, like, what are they going to say? Because it's in the back of your head. And it's nothing. Now, I know this sounds silly because I'm not putting that out to them, but I'm paying attention deep to my inner thoughts of what's going on in my subconscious. I'm really alert to this right now. Like, what is going on in this deeper discussion? And the reason I'm being alert to it is because all of this reflects programming. It's how we've been programmed to be self-conscious about things that should be our rights given to us by our creator, the Declaration of Independence. When we come back and we start listening to people and we start to pay attention to what they're saying, we have to start hearing them for their heart, not their words. When the Q movement broke out and there was so much work being done on 4chan at that time, I'm sorry, 8chan on that time, there were people that for the first time in their life were coming to, to find a relationship or an acceptance of God. These were many agnostics and atheists. They were accepting God and then seeking Christ. Many on the boards. And the argument or justification or awakening that they would express, however you want to place that, was that I have now proven that evil exists, therefore God must exist as well. Because what were they discovering? The horrors of child sex trafficking and other things. Just horrific, horrific, visually dark things. And there was this was in um, 2018 or so. I was down in Thomaston, Florida, or Thomaston, Florida, Thomaston, Georgia, and I was at the Church of Glad Tidings, and I sat with Pastor Travis Graham one day, and I said, you know, I talked about this. I said, there are so many of these people that are coming to Jesus, but they'd never be accepted in this church. And this was our general sense of the conversation. I said, it's because their communication comes from a place that is not like, it doesn't speak Christianese. They use the F-bomb. They talk about things in ways and, and that are not f- biblically formed. And yet, their pursuit in their heart is to find Jesus. You could see it's what their testimonies were. So unfortunately, the general Christian community would cast them out. So I always ask myself, it's like, okay, well, what's that going to do to them? What's going to happen if the communities become judgmental and cast them out and don't meet them where they are? We miss an opportunity. Jesus sat with tax collectors and prostitutes. So let me give you a couple stories here that in a little more detail than I have in the past. In 2005, and this is, I'm going to, all this time in my, where I'm going to talk about, I didn't have a close relationship with God, but I will tell you this. I did trust. I was much more agnostic in my views, and I definitely, though, did trust my life to a higher power of God. I used the term God, but I didn't have the relationship with God that I do have now. And a lot of that came from the fact that as I grew up, the church was such a judgmental clique, cult in my town, and the exposure I had to it, and I've talked about this at length, I didn't want anything to do with churches, which, quite frankly, thank goodness, thank you, Lord, for that experience, because I'm glad I didn't. I'd probably be screwed up. The The whole place that I, I got into was I started to get back in my photography in, in 2005, and I had been through a really brutal year in 2004. 
I had a couple of, I had one particular client that was a major, um, I'm just saying he's a jackass. And doing work for him, and I, I had two jobs running in parallel. They were big jobs. And he literally looked at me, and he's like, I'm not going to pay you another dime. You've got, I've got all my money in the trust. And he laughed at me. He says, you're not getting anything out of me. That was an $80,000 hit to me at that point. And let me tell you, don't recover from that quickly. I got through that very miserable time. It was very, very dark after the first of the year. I mean, I, I was at my end of my rope and uh, had a friend call me and say, hey, I'd like you to start doing outdoor landscaping stuff for me. Will you do that? And I'd already done quite a bit of it. And, and I just, so I started getting jobs from him over and over. I had, I cut myself back to where it was just me doing most of the work. And I started to seek my passion, which was photography. So I started taking pictures and spending time in the dark room. I mean, this is film photography in 2005. The digital age was emerging pretty quickly, but I was still into film. So somewhere along that route, I get introduced to a photographer from the Dallas Morning News who's a Pulitzer Prize winning photographer, and he's also a combat photographer. And we meet on Facebook, and he starts to... He, he reads my passion for photography. And we share stories and we talk a little bit on the phone. And he says, well, look, I'll mentor you by distance, which is fantastic. And so I started giving myself projects to, so I could focus and shoot. So one of those projects, which later got published in a small paper, small national, it was a national paper, but it's, it's regional in its distributions. But anyway, um, was called while we sleep. And so what I would do, and I did this for about 45 days, I would do my work and do my jobs until about six or seven, I'd come home, I'd sleep for about three or four hours. And I'd get up around 11, I'd grab a quick bite, and I'd grab my gear, and I would go downtown Portland, and I would walk the streets until about three in the morning, and I would take pictures of the homeless at night. And it's interesting life because in that whole experience of 45 days, you got to see all the things that we turn our eyes away from, the things that we don't see, literally. And it was seeing how they sleep, how they worked at night, what they did. Whole different lens on the world because we're comforted in our homes and they're trying to survive. And you saw tragic stories. You start to meet people. Some people are just lonely. Some people can't sleep at all at night because they're afraid of getting raped or attacked or they just have so much trauma that the nighttime becomes the only time they can find peace. These were still framed photos. I don't have them anymore, unfortunately. But um, there was this photo story of that type of existence. And in the process here, I'm getting ready to go. I've, I'm increasingly looking at going to do a deployment. I haven't been approved yet to go to Afghanistan but I'm trying to build a portfolio, okay? And so my next project, and this one's pretty spicy, so hang on, is I was in a place called Devil's Point. Yes, that's the name. And it was a strip club. And the strip club was a, the most eclectic meeting place you'd ever imagine. It still exists in Portland. It's over on the east side, crazy place. They have fire dancers, they have the strippers, they've got all sorts of crazy stuff. But here's what else goes on in this place. They've got a pool table set up on one side. They have a, a bar, which they all have bars. They have just little quick microwave food that people would eat. But at that time, 
it was the meeting place of all ages. I literally mean this. It was the most, and this is what caught my eye when I started looking for a place to do a shoot. I'm like, this would be, by name, it's weird. And then as I heard the reputation about it, this is a place where you had millennials coming in. I have, there was one photo that I always remember. It sticks out of my head. There were millennials were, there was a group of them sitting around a table in the middle of the, of the strip club. All, it was, had free Wi-Fi, by the way. They were all huddled around looking at their Facebook account. And in the background, you got some chick up on a pole and you have the, the like freakazoids that are all, it's the trench coat guys. Okay, they're like, they're like the creeps. They're sitting up on the front row. And then you have these couples that are sitting behind there. And they're all just having conversation while, they're, while this distant entertainer is going on stripping. And while people are playing pool and the bartender serving drinks. I mean, this is like your wide-angle shot. And it, it is such an eclectic place. Trust me, there's no Jesus in there. But as I reflect back, what a gift God gave me. Because I got to be... I got to know a lot of these girls. When I say that, spent time talking to them. They allowed me to film them during their day. Like I could go to their house and film them and how they lived. And they all have a story. They all have a different way of communicating. And much of their life revolves around sex, but not the way you think. So I'm saying all this because I want you to understand get a different glimpse at when what it means to me when I read that Christ sat with prostitutes. If you think for a second that those conversations were going to be clean and proper in the terms of the, the button-down shirt and the, and the khaki pants church, you're very wrong. These people, when you're in an environment like that, they're going to, you find some amazingly giving people. And I just went to meet them. I never wanted anything. I remember one of them telling me, they're like, I've never met anybody like you. Now hear this. And she says, I never met anybody like you. You don't want anything from me. I said, no, I just want to know if I can photograph your life. That's all I want to do is document it. She was a heroin addict that had been recovered, which is an amazing thing anyway. She's actually was actually in the film Black Tar Heroin when she was an addict on the streets in San Francisco. And one of the things that there's a constant theme from these people was that I am broken. They'll tell you what happened to them. Some were raped by their father. Some got, had, most of them had broken families. Most of them had been molested. Most of them had been cast out. Most of them had been on the streets. And then they had found a way to, reinv- to give themselves some confidence, some pride in themselves, if, if we want to consider that to be a sin. But it's in the sense of feeling good because they could perform in front of people that would acknowledge them. It sounds broken. It is broken. Trust me. They need true. This is a true place to do ministry. That was not my place at that point in time. But they'd always talk about the judgment of people. How, because what stunned me, and this may come across to you as bizarre, but when you meet somebody who is a good stage performer, stripper, they can sell anything. And trust me, they can sell to get that dollar-by-dollar donation. And this is a horrible world. Every one of them has a stage fee to pay every single night. Every night they perform, they have to pay that stage fee. If they don't bring in, say, the $80 or whatever it is for that night for the stage fee, they owe the house. So let's say that they have a bad night. It happens. $20. 
is all they make. Well, if you make $20 and your stage fee is 80, you don't keep the 20, you pay the house and you owe them 60. So the next time around you come on the stage, you owe them 140. So this can get really bad. And then what they do in this culture, the guys that own these joints, the one in Portland, this was owned by a guy by the name of Frank Mungian. He was a big cocaine dealer in Portland, or was. What would happen is that they would end up owing it, so then they would offer them other opportunities to make money. You can see where this is going. You get right into the sex trafficking thing, and it happens. Drugs are rampant. Many of them, um, many of them are drug addicts. They hide it. They might, they'll use, for example, they may inject heroin into the veins on around their neck so it doesn't show up anywhere. They're trying to get by. They're broken people. But I admired this. When I look back on this, I wonder, but they're survivors. There's not suicide going on. They're trying to find a way forward to live a life and to find some hope and happiness. So you have to, you have to balance this with the judgment we want to make on the way of life and the reality of what they're living and who they are. And there's some good grifters in there. Trust me, they can grift like a gypsy. But there's others that have just a true, when they meet somebody that doesn't want anything for them, they truly take a compassion to you like a friend. They don't have many friends that are real. Most everybody they know wants to get in bed with them, sleep with them, get something from them. It's always horrible. So the sincerity of being honest with who you are without having any desire. I was just taking pictures. I wanted to tell an honest story. And it was a very interesting experience because as I've looked back on it, I'm like, man, God, you gave me a place to walk that gave me a glimpse into what Jesus was seeing. He was seeing people that truly just desired to be loved and loved in a greater way that he could lead them to. But I guarantee you those conversations weren't easy. I laugh about this and, and I, I to myself, and I'm going to express this to you, like I could easily see Jesus sitting one day with a stripper and they're going, hey, hey, Jesus, if, if you ever want to get a, you know, want to feel good and get a, like, a, you know, make yourself feel good, it's a free, it's a free one on me. Most people today would lose their mind. They'd be like, what? You, you're trying to sell me sex? It's what they understood as the commodity of exchange, of appreciation. You see, that's meeting somebody where they are. And I mean, I can tell you, the Holy Spirit just walked in on this one because I just got choked up in tears. We have to get to a place where we start seeing people where they are and quit the assault on thinking everything's evil. So my little expression last night about Nako, okay? Nako, medicine for the people. That music is beautiful. It, his vocals are spectacular. His passion for the living God is real. And I guarantee you, no one has ever sat down to show him the God of miracles and the living Christ. Guarantee it. Instead, it's been judgment. It's been, you spoke of God as she. You are condemned to hell. And I'm ex exaggerating. But that's it. And it's sad because he didn't get that gift from Satan. Satan doesn't create, he mocks. That was a gift given to him by God. And it shows when you listen to his music, it moves you. And if there's anything, I will tell you, I am like super music critic. And I am 
very selective in what I bring. So, I mean, in a personal level, it's frustrating because I work very hard at what I bring to this audience to have things that are truly passionate and find that Holy Spirit within it. And there's a lot to that. I mean, Ted Nugent's song, Fred Bear, is one of the epic songs he's ever done. It has so much passion, so much life, so much love of God's creation in it, and so much greatness of who we are as warriors, all in one song. And it's so understated from the Ted Nugent style that it just draws you into the song. It's beautiful. And we have many others like that. All of this is just a, a conversation tonight about a reminder. In the sense of evil, which we are finding a lot of places, we have to be careful not to create the boogeymans that don't exist, but we're going to start tagging them as evil and treating them as evil. We have a responsibility as the sons and daughters of the Most High to be in that walk like Christ. It's easy to brandish the sword of steel. Peter did it, and he was always on that edge. But I'm just, I go back to what Jesus did. He healed the ear. You see, in that moment where Peter stayed the attack, Jesus healed the ear. And in so doing, that person whose ear is healed would forever be transformed he will never walk in the same darkness that he did, no matter what. He's now going to seek, no matter what he does, he will never forget that his ear was healed by the hand of the Son of God. See, that's the powerful thing. If, In order to win where we're going to go, where to what's ahead, we have to embrace our authorities. We have to start leaning in to learn how to bring about healing. That means we have to do it like everything else. It's muscle memory. It's at least 2,000 times before you even get the rhythm. I'm learning that right now. I draw left-handed. I'm a left-handed shooter. I'm a, I was always been a left-handed shooter with a rifle. About four years ago, I switched to be a left-handed shooter with my pistol. And I've taken on now a 1911. If you understand, if you've used one, you'll understand what I'm going to say. I haven't put an ambidextrous safety on it yet. 1911s have a safety that's dedicated for the right thumb of the right hand, typically. Okay, when you're a right-handed shooter to do that until I get my ambidextric safety on. But even then, I'm training myself on how to draw and snap the safety off with my right hand. That means I have to reach around the pistol while keeping the pistol moving and on target and drop that safety so that my finger never leaves the trigger guard or to trigger. I don't know how many times I've done it, but I'm telling you my, my slow path, pathway is getting natural, but my speed is very slow. It will take another thousand times of drawing before that ever gets even as a native rhythm to myself, but I do it every day. That's the same approach we have to take with these authorities that we're given, whether it's praying for healing, praying to casting out demons, if we're going to raise the dead, if we're going to do greater works than he it's there. And we have to start having the confidence in what God's going to deliver because this is how we defeat the enemy. They're beating us on stage tricks. They're beating us on circus antics. Pray and chant and you'll get rich. And people go, oh, look at this. I just made $10. Oh, <laughs> it's like, wow, that's pretty impressive. You do realize that like God has a kingdom waiting for you. Yes, but my 401k did better because I prayed on it and I prayed on it and I prayed to the way they told me and I repetitioned it and repetitioned it and repetitioned it and I, I did the visual exercises by putting it on the wall every day and saying 401k is going to get better, 401k is going to get better, or I'm going to get this car and I focused on that every single day and pretty soon after a year of doing this, I got a Lamborghini. It's like, great. 
You're not taking it with you. And I'm glad you put all that effort into nothing. But I would love to show you the Lord of hosts. I'd love to show you the God of miracles. I'd love to show you my passion for Jesus and then be able to do something within our authorities to really show them what true healing is like. And part of that is raising a dead soul to life. That's our greater role. And in, in spite of all this evil that's out here, I'm reminding myself and I'm sharing it tonight. Let us not be too quick to draw the sword of steel. Let us be very solid in our discernment and let us reach with the compassion and the love that Jesus has asked us to do, especially for our fellow brother and sister that has nothing to do with this evil crap that's going on out here. They're just on a pursuit to express their love. Some express their love in nature. Some express their love for the living God that they understand. But wouldn't it be amazing if they could witness and experience the love of the Holy Spirit, the power of what that means, the power of the living God and the power of the God of miracles? I guarantee you there would be no issue in their wording about he and she anymore. Just some thoughts. Let's pray. Father, I'm going to thank you this evening and just blessed for the times we have here together and the times we have in fellowship. Just ask that my prayer tonight is just that people's hearts will hear that passion for God, even when the words aren't quite right to hear the passion for you, even when people don't know necessarily what that path is. To hear the gifts that are given and to see the creations done. And let us be the emissaries for the kingdom. When we see that and discern that, not to classify everything as evil because something isn't said quite right, but rather be the instrument of emissary. To be able to sit down and introduce somebody to the our passions of Jesus or you, Lord, as the Lord of miracles. We're taking a big step each day in trying to seek the authorities and claim them. And, and that often is a regiment and a discipline, very much like drawing a sword and cutting something each day. But as you've shown me, there is also a greater part of that, which is wielding a sword that is a little more malleable, a sword that's a little less precise and sharp, but equally fine-tuned to the moment. It's the understanding of meeting somebody where they are. And in so doing, to bring them closer to you and closer to Jesus through a compassion and understanding and a more gentle walk. Evil is evil, but there's so many out here that are seeking and so many out there that will be greatly fulfilled, not within the dense stone walls and not within the skinny jean pulpit, but rather within the world of the living God, the world of Jesus. So, Father, just ask that that passion flows through us, that, that intensity of love and excitement, that the authorities that we're proclaiming, the confidence that we have comes through, that we can use that as a bridge builder, a uniter, and something to inspire people to reach for you on their walk. We say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. We are 
going to win this through the unity in the body of Christ. At Bards Fest, we have the vice president, former vice president, Myron and Dottie Lizer coming in, former vice president, second lady. And I say this because he's going to bring with him a perspective that is both Christian and it's going to be influenced by his Navajo native upbringing. He is and I have already prayed together at the base of Window Rock or Circle Rock, Window Rock, I think it is. That's their sacred site. And in fact, if you want to see it, go to Bard's website, Bard's Fest, and scroll down and see their picture. You'll see it behind. And that's a sacred site. And two people, different cultures, all in their love of Christ. And we made a compact before God that we would work together to heal the rift between First Nations and Last Nations. Neither one of us knows exactly what that looks like. Both of us understand very clearly that's going to be a rough one on both sides because there's so much predetermined judgment on each side. But I know it can be done. God knows it can be done. And that's what Bards Fest is going to have part of, is a sharing of that. And it's an important point because we're trying to bridge past these verticalizations that we've created, these stovepipes that we live in these comfort zones that we're in. We want to start embracing the greater body of Christ, meeting people where they are, working together to bring the body together. That's our greatest mission in the end of the day. And while along the way we're going to have plenty of evil to slay, plenty of mountains to conquer, but that is the greatest mission of all. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest dead. Oh.